Hello, welcome back to the Bloom Podcast. We are so grateful for you. And today, and actually for the next few sessions, we are going to be talking about the state of womanhood, the state of womanhood. This is the Bloom Podcast. Come on, let's grow together. everybody and today we're going to be talking about something that is very important to this podcast because the focus of this podcast is women and so what I thought would be important for us to do is to talk about women and so you know every year in January in general there is a State of the Union address that's given by the President of State, the State Address, State of the City Address, and all of these addresses are put together in order for the person who is the chief leader of that area, region, and even nation to share what is going on and what they project for the city, the state, or the nation. Well, I don't presume to be the president of women. I don't presume to be that level of leader. But what I do say is that my advocacy and my passion for and my serving of women and my observation of women has brought me to a place where I feel like I can share a couple of things with you that might be important. And I'm hoping that you will respond and share your thoughts as we begin on this journey. Now, we are going to be talking about this for the next few episodes. And so I just suggest that you put on your seatbelt, open your ears and hearts, and get ready for us to talk about the state of womanhood. Now, the state, the condition of, and so the state of womanhood, what is it? Well, the first word I want to use is complex. Women are complex, and that doesn't mean difficult, and it doesn't mean strange, and it doesn't mean Uh, any of a lot of those things, it means that we are made up of all of these little things, right? Um, Some of you may remember uh, the, the nursery rhyme, what are little girls made of sugar and spice and everything nice? Well, I would say we're made of sugar and spice and we're made of challenge and we're made of uh, a surrender and we are made up of so many very different things and we need to come together to begin to talk about those things and to begin to work on ourselves at a whole new level and what do I mean by that often we feel like when we get into adulthood that everything just stops. Everything is just good where it's at. Everything is all right. And because I'm physically grown, I am also emotionally grown. I am spiritually grown. I am grown in every way that you might think about. Well, I don't believe that that's true. 
I know that often, actually, as we get older, physically, we begin to shrink. We begin to recede. We begin to get a little bit shorter. Our muscles are not as strong, especially if we don't work out. Um, There are a lot of physical attributes that start to change and shift as we get older. But one of the things about all of us, and this includes the men, that can change and grow and become more beautiful with time is our attitude, our humility, our attention to people, our concern for others, our willingness to listen and to grow, our understanding that one, two, five, 15 readings of the Bible is not nearly enough. We look to the Bible as the word of God, as our foundation, as not, as not just our foundation of truth, but the foundation of truth. And so as we really dive into this book, we find some magnificent and elegant things. We also find out sometimes that some of the things that we were raised with, some of the things that we were taught to honor and hold sacred and lift up were actually not true. They actually, some of them weren't even in the Bible. Many of them were misquoted. For instance, Money is the root of all evil. That's not what the scripture says. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Well, Pam, what's the difference? One is saying that the means of exchange that we use is evil. Now, who would want to keep evil, right? So the way that that reads says money is evil. I don't want to be evil. I don't want to have evil. So I'm just going to give it up. I'm going to have a certain level of fear when it comes to money. I'm going to begin to look at it as if it is something that, if I have it, could negatively affect me and mine. And in my, again, observations of women, they very often say things to me like, oh, I don't want to have money. And I can't help but think that some of that is rooted in the misquoting of the scripture. And the scripture actually says it's the love of money. And while I'm not going to do a deep dive into that, I would venture to say because the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and so forth. So if you are loving money, then how can you give your heart, mind, soul, strength? How can you love God that wholeheartedly? Now, let me also say this. God is not against you having money. He's not against you having a whole lot of it. What he is against is the money having you. And I'm sure you've heard that turn of phrase before, but I just want to reiterate it. Women, God is not afraid of you having money. He's concerned 
about money having you, meaning money taking precedence over him, money taking precedence over your family, the assignment that he's given to your life. He is against anything that would come between you and him. And not in a stalker kind of way, not in a way that is... How can I put it? Not in a way where he is trying to control you, but in a way where he is saying, if you want liberty and freedom, you can't allow this thing, this means of exchange that I've provided for you to overtake you. So women, it's okay to have money. It's just not okay for money to have you now. Let's move on to something else. Ladies, when you think of womanhood and you go back to the introduction of the woman in the Bible, uh, as we see the account of creation in Genesis, we see that women came into the picture as a solution. Why do I say that? Because when Adam was naming the animals, he named all of these animals and he saw them in pairs. He saw them together. He witnessed their connection. He witnessed their allegiance to one another. And what he realized was that there was no one with whom he had allegiance. No one on the planet. He had connection with God. He had instructions from God. But he didn't have someone that was walking around the planet with him, side by side. And so, you, my sister, are a solution. You were created as a help me. Now, let's also clarify some things around that. Because, again, misinterpretation, challenges, and unfortunately, those in power making some decisions about who and what we are. The help meet was not meant to be a servant. The help meet was meant to be a side-by-side partner. To accomplish things that a man could not do on his own. To be a compliment, you know, and a compliment, we we often think about that in math terms, right? When you want to get to 100%, or if you want to get to the number 100 and you have the number 69, 31 is the compliment to 69 because 69 and 31 will get you to 100. There are missing pieces that we provide. And I believe it's a model for living when we hear the term that man should not be alone, right? I take that and not just from a marriage perspective, but from a teamwork perspective. 
from the perspective that there are people that are out there that are connected and need to connect to you so that the vision can come to pass. This vision that you have, if you really allow yourself to have it, is way too big for you. Way, way out of you doing this on your own and by yourself. So, women, you are a solution and there are people out there waiting for you to do what you have been called to do. But as I say, this thing, truly, it's complex. What do I mean? I mean that there are so often, and I'd love to hear from you on this, there are so often times when that big dream that's sitting inside of us, we never allow to come out. We're afraid for it to come out. We we shudder to think about it. We shudder to even use our brains to try to wrap ourselves around the big dream that we have. I mean, think about it. Hasn't there been something that has been stewing inside of you that you've wanted to do for your neighborhood, that you wanted to do for the school that your children go to, that maybe you wanted to do for some friends, maybe you saw a need and you just are itching to see it get met. Every time you walk past that store, every time you see that thing, every time it shows up, something inside you has an urgency to see something different, to see something better, to see some growth. But then you stop. Then you retreat. Then you don't allow yourself to think that thought or to dream that dream. And here we go back into the complexities of womanhood. Sometimes what we see happening is fear. Sometimes what we have happening is insecurity. Sometimes what we have happening is the voice of someone who belittled us so much that we're afraid to think that we could possibly do anything to be of service. Sometimes, unfortunately, it might have been a parent, a grandparent, uh, a close relative that meant the world to you. It might have been a teacher that you idolized or you looked up to and you, you looked at them as a role model, but they crushed and dashed what it is that you had in your heart. Maybe it was a leader who said that you couldn't do something like that. There are many women out there that have had people in leadership tell them that they couldn't do something. They couldn't do something. And for all these years, that tape has been replaying and repeating in your head. And you've been saying, I'd love to try that, but I can't do that. 
I'd love to see this happen, but how could I possibly be of any assistance to something so big? It's these complexities that we need to talk about and we need to get out there in the open. Because as we travel through this thing and as we journey and as we come to grips with who said that and why did it affect me in this way? Why am I still as an adult allowing myself to be under the words of someone who said something to me at 10 years old? And here we go back to the complexity of saying we're grown. You're grown, but you're being affected by the 10-year-old you. You're grown, but you're being affected by the thing that the elementary school teacher said to you. By the thing that that possibly well-meaning, possibly not, relative said to you. You are under the influence of something that happened to you as a small child. But the grown-up you isn't connecting or confronting, better said, confronting the 10-year-old you to say, I'm so sorry they did that. But we're going to move on from there. We're going to move into this grown woman. We're going to move into this powerful woman. We're going to move into this influential woman that absolutely, absolutely, and positively can move mountains by faith, can change directions by faith, can grow, can look at anything that is put in front of her and say, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing is too difficult for him. And so I am his daughter. He loves me. He's given me something to do. And because he's given me something to do, I know that he and I together can complete it. And so As we continue on this journey to talk about the state of womanhood, we have a lot of content to cover. And so we're going to stay on this for a while. We're going to give you these small bites so that we're able to chew this thing, chew on this thing, grow in it, and have some conversation about it. But what the beauty of this is, is for us to change our attitudes, our outlooks, our limiting behavior into limitless possibilities. And so, as we conclude this first installment of the state of womanhood, We say this, being a woman is a complex combination of beautiful and challenging and interesting and magnificent pieces that we put together 
to form us who have been formed and created by God and in his image. We have been created as solutions to issues. We have been created as answers. We have been created as the one who is an advisor and must have access to all kinds of information so that we can be the advisor that we were sent to be. To be that Proverbs 31 businesswoman, that Lydia, that businesswoman. To be the ones that come out and stand up and provide and connect and nurture and grow and present a place that is beautiful and that is safe, secure, that is comforting and available for so many. And so, as we close out today, And we talk about the state of womanhood, which we will continue to do for the next few sessions. Think about it. And message me. We want to hear from you. We want to know how you feel about this, what you're thinking about it, um, any questions that you have, things that you need for us to cover. We want to be here for you And the best way for us to do that is for you to connect with us. So message us at the Bloom Podcast. We look forward to hearing from you. And as always, come on, let's grow together. Good day, Bloom Podcasters. Today we continue on our series, The State of Womanhood, and we talk about ownership and property. Come on, let's grow together. Good day, everybody. Good day. I want to uh, take us on a little journey and talk a little bit about uh, some things that I experienced. I want to say I was in college and I probably just came home from college, hadn't quite started uh, working for that summer yet. And I had the opportunity, you know, like you do when uh, you're younger to just stay up to a ridiculously late time. Uh, in the the night or really into the morning. And whatever station I was watching had these beautiful black and white movies. And to this day, I love old black and white movies. There is a lighting and a feel that you get from a black and white movie that you just quite don't, you don't quite get rather from other movies. And so 
Uh, and also period movies were really exciting and interesting to me because I am a lover of history. And so this particular night or morning, if you will, I was watching this movie that I had never seen before. And it was an old movie, but I had just never seen it before. And the movie was one of the first presentations of the Jane Austen novel, Pride and Prejudice. Now, Jane Austen is known for her revealing the nature and the state actually of womanhood in her time and using her writing as a vehicle to discuss societal issues. And art is often used to discuss societal issues where people may not listen to a speech or go to a rally. Uh, Often artists will paint pictures or Uh, write novels, do plays, and all kinds of things to express how they feel about a certain topic. And so it is with Jane Austen and her presentation of the book Pride and Prejudice. Now, many of us have seen um, many different television versions and uh, adaptations, uh, movie adaptations, But this particular one, this was the first one that I saw, and it was done in 1940, and it starred Laurence Olivier and Greer Garson, two exceptional actors for that day. And they played the roles of our, you know, of our primary uh, characters, uh, Miss Bennett um, and Mr. uh, Not Willoughby. Darcy, Mr. Darcy, how, how could I forget? Um, so uh, yes, Miss Bennett uh, and Mr. Darcy. And as I watched it, really from the first 10 minutes of the movie, I began to understand some of the reasons why women have so many issues with women. And It was really more about survival than it was about anything else. And what do I mean by that? I mean, in the time that this book was written, and there were, uh, you know, as I've done a little bit of research, there there was uh, some legislation that was coming about. But you know how it is with any new law that passes, sometimes people don't want to accept the fact that the law has been passed. And so it takes some time for um, the new law to take effect. And so what did I see in these first 10 minutes of the movie? I saw this family, the Bennett family, in an uproar going to get dresses for balls. You see, there was a season of balls, uh, and, and many of you may have seen this, uh, those of you who have watched the new uh, breakout show, uh, breakout uh, miniseries, Bridgerton, you may have seen that uh, there was, first of all, a time when young ladies who were ready to get married were presented before the royal court. And at the balls, what would happen was men who were also 
available for marriage would kind of look over the women, if you will. Now, why is this important? At this time, women could not own property. Women could not inherit the property that was purchased by their own parents. Women who were working the fields, keeping the house, making sure things were in line, literally could not inherit their own property. And so what they had to depend on was marrying well, marrying someone uh, possibly even within their family who would take on caring for the estate that their parents had. This also had implications for the younger sisters. So the eldest sister had to marry well, and meaning that the person would have money, would have some type of reasonable occupation, and would be uh, able to take on the household of the father. So the big sister marrying well meant that the little sisters had a place to live. Can you imagine the weight of that on a young woman? And remember, they were getting married younger than we do today. Can you imagine the weight of your entire family resting on you as the eldest sister of all girls? Can you imagine what that felt like, the pressure? And I began to understand, not say that it was right, but I began to understand why some of these women had the behavior towards other women that they had. They were literally fighting for the lives and survival and prosperity and us, not just social, but financial future for their entire family. Now, in this movie, there are five sisters. And so there is a desperation to marry Elizabeth Bennett off to someone who is wealthy and someone who will be able to care for her younger four sisters and the estate that she, that uh, Mrs. Bennett and Mr. Bennett acquired and maintained. This is the pressure of being a woman at this time. This is the pressure of having to carry your family on your back. And I know most of you listening to this have a great love for your family. And so, I began to understand why. Again, not think that it was right, but I began to understand why I saw some of the backbiting and anger and viciousness of women towards women. Because it wasn't just about marrying. It was about your entire family and their livelihood. Now, if you watch any other or listen or read any other of Jane Austen's work, you will find this as a theme, a consistent theme in her writing. And uh, again, you'll begin to see this as 
maybe an understanding of some of the roots of some of the viciousness, and I, I, I have to use that word, some of the viciousness that we have as women toward other women. Now, yes, we can talk about jealousy. We can talk about envy. We can talk about some of the things that God hates. And we'll get into that um, probably on later broadcasts. But today, I really just wanted to deal with the issue of ownership and property. And God's word really does have some instruction for us. And so I thought that I would share this with you out of uh, Numbers in the 27th chapter, uh, verses 1 through 11. And uh, yes, it is 11 verses, but I I think it's important for us to listen to this whole piece and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. And so here we are. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, belonged to the class of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of the daughters were Malha, Noah, Hogla, Mikha, and Tirza. They approached the entrance of the tent of meeting and stood before Moses. Eleazar, the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly and said, Our father died in the desert. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord. But he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan? Because he had no son. Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to him, What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among the father's relatives and turn their father's inheritance over to them. Say to the Israelites, if a man dies and leaves no son, turn his inheritance over to his daughter. If he has no daughter, give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father's father had no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan, that he may possess it. This is to be a legal requirement for the Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. So as we see here, first of all, I want to recognize and acknowledge the bravery of the daughters of Zelophehad. I want to acknowledge how in the midst of a time, and this was quite a time, this was when the children of Israel were finally coming into the promised land and they were dividing lots and they were uh, looking at property and ownership. And these women, after the loss of their father, after seeing all that they had seen, after experiencing crossing the Jordan, after experiencing... um, knowing what happened with the sons of Korah, after all of those things and all of that tension, they had the strength to band together and say, our father's name should not be blotted out because he had no sons.
We believe that we have the right to have property in Israel. We believe that we walked around the Jordan walls too. We believe that we, or I'm sorry, the Jericho walls too. We believe that we crossed the Jordan. We saw the stones being placed. We understand. We saw the battles. We saw what it is that God had done. And we heard the promise of God. So why should we be left out of the inheritance? And God himself says they're right. God himself makes sure that these women have an inheritance. God himself. And so it seems to me that that should have been the end of the matter. If a man dies and has no son, then the property goes to his daughters. But the way we are, humanity, fear, believing that we are in an economy of lack as opposed to an economy of abundance, wanting control, wanting power, and just all around, I'd say, and this is my assessment, and I'm, I'm always happy to hear what anyone else would have to say, your different thoughts on it. But fear, having that fear, a loss of power, a loss of opportunity, believing at the root of it, it's a belief that God wouldn't provide for you. And maybe that's mixed with a bit of pride. And again, we'll probably talk about that at a later time. But these women went forward and they got what they requested. And God said, yes, they're right. So in the face of this information, um, I took a look and I, I won't go into all the laws that I found, but it was really amazing some of the things that I did find. Uh, I found that if a woman was single and had property, she could keep the property in her name as long as she was single. But if she married, the property went into her husband's name. So if the husband was a poor manager, he could literally lose her inheritance. He could lose everything. If he was a gambler, if he, you know, whatever, if he got into bad business dealings, any of that, he could lose the land that she came into the marriage with because he had ownership and rulership over her property. Women could not sign deeds. Women could not purchase. As a matter of fact, women were thought of, uh, to a certain extent, as property as well. And unfortunately here too, there's a racial divide because in no way could a black person particularly in these United States, owned property. They were absolutely property for a long time. So as we look at this piece with women and ownership and property, as we look at the fight 
to find a good spouse. And let's be clear, we're not talking about a spouse who would be faithful, not necessarily. We're not talking about a spouse who would not be abusive or understanding or any of those positive things that we truly believe that men are, especially men of God. It didn't matter. They needed someone to marry them and be in a position to take over the property that their father, that their family had amassed and worked on. Can you see why women might be angry and suspicious, angry with and suspicious of one another? Can you see why women might go out of their way to make sure they are in position to be seen by single available men? Can you see how this can cause deep divides between women, between sisters? Can you see how this might keep us from having the relationship and the caring and the understanding that we could have between one another? And so, as we begin to wind this podcast down, the state of womanhood is complex. As we talk about this, it was just, mm, I think it was just about a little over 50 years ago where women were able to sign for a credit card or to get a line of credit. Just over 50 years ago in uh, 1970, 71. That was when women could just begin to sign for credit. We know that vote the vote for white women will be 101 years old this year. Um, women of color didn't really actualize this until Voting Rights Act. So, and that's another reason for the divide between women, that women of color were never allowed to receive the benefits of the work that they did for women's rights and women's suffrage at the same time that their white counterparts were. Now, I'm not trying to get into a race debate. I'm talking about history here. And I'm talking about maybe some of the factors as to why we have so many challenges with women. This is deep-seated. This is centuries old. And it seems like, again, with the Daughters of Zelophehad, that that set the precedent. But for, for numerous reasons, it wasn't consistently adhered to. And so here we are, talking about the state of womanhood, talking about how you and I can do and be more how we can 
begin to be the women that we're called to be. How we can hear the things that happened in the past and then make a decision about who we want to be. And furthermore, who is our God? Isn't he the one that does exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think? Isn't he the one who said that he came to give us life and that much more abundantly? Isn't he that God? Well, if he is, and I know he is, then let's begin to pray and tear down the walls of division between sisters because when we operate together, we are so much better. Look at what has been happening with voting rights all around the United States. In many instances, it was women that led the charge. It was women who got more people out to vote. So when we operate together, we make magnificent magnificent changes. So my sister, as you think about the state of womanhood and ownership and property, understand some of the roots of it, understand, tear it down in prayer, repent for your own challenges with other women, and know that God has prepared so much for you. And you don't have to try to take, steal, or destroy anything else that anyone else has. And so, that's where we're going to leave it today. We will be back next time with the State of Womanhood Part 3. And we're going to talk about, our goal is to talk about three types of women. So, until then... Remember, we're here for you and with you, and we encourage you to grow together. Have a great day.